1: Can we talk something else? Can, can we talk about something else? <laughs> there we don't know who we're dealing with ever and if there's someone in your life even on the same bus route jogging trail or office floor that's harboring ill intentions towards you it will be too late by the time you realize it and that's really unfair it's a terrible truth that if we ever attract a killer, they most certainly have the upper hand. They get to plot and plan their approach, their attack, their escape. Far too often a victim fades away with the passage of time while their murderer gains relief, then the confidence to strike again. But every once in a while, more often than they get credit for, really, the investigators get it right, like really right. And though the accused will have their say, appeal the decision, write books and receive fan mail, perhaps learn a trade, get married, change their name, at least sometimes, the victim doesn't fade away. They instead maybe move on, somewhat satisfied. Welcome to Dark Topic, I'm your host, Jack Luna. This is a true crime happening. The fishy alibi of Kevin Dowling. October 20th, 1997, one week before Halloween. Jennifer Myers is alone in her art gallery, The Gray Fox, a small business born in the small town of Spring Grove, Pennsylvania, a place known for its odor, the paper mill burps sulfur here, permeating the town with the smell of Satan. It's a place known for its quaintness, its safety in numbers. Small numbers. Population 2,000, but safety isn't guaranteed ever. Anywhere. And the 44-year-old version of Jennifer Myers would undoubtedly agree with that. Life had been good. She had two girls, a grandchild, still married to her high school sweetheart, and now with the Gray Fox art gallery's inception, Jennifer had been living her dream. Until the nightmare began. (laughs) She must have felt uneasy working alone, after what had happened. Back in August of 96, she'd been alone, just like this, framing prints, playing solitaire. When a man wearing sunglasses entered her shop, walked around a little bit to be sure the place was empty, then locked the door, and forced himself onto the wife, the mother, shoving a gun in her face while roughly molesting her. Jennifer was justifiably terrified, The apish man was rude, forceful, and it had crossed her mind that he may kill her once he was done doing what he wanted. After a few frozen moments being groped like an inanimate object, the man ordered that they go upstairs, where it would be less likely a passerby would see them. From there, it's all a blur. Jennifer knows she is soon upstairs, on the floor face down, being tied up with white nylon rope. Her clothes... They're being ripped at. He's going to rape her. Then he'll shoot her in the back of the head. A truck pulls up out back. Its brakes squeaking. The sound might as well have been angels' wings, flapping, descending from heaven. The man asks if someone's here. Jennifer can't believe it, but yes. Yeah, she had a delivery this afternoon. It's the delivery man. He brings supplies. He comes right on in through the back. The man is gone downstairs emptying the till and stumbling at the front door, just as the gallery's delivery is pushed in through the rear entrance. Jennifer had identified Kevin Brian Dowling as the man who had attempted to rape her after spotting him working at a Sheet's convenience store about four months after the attack. Kevin, a stocky 39-year-old manager in training who'd claimed to be some kind of security officer on the side, had served his victim at the till then watched as recognition and fear exploded in a gust of energy from Jennifer. Kevin had tried to remain calm, casually continuing his shift, until the inevitable police cruiser arrived, bouncing into the Sheets parking lot after cutting its lights. The writing was on the wall, but Kevin had chosen not to read it. Instead, he retreated into his constantly shifting world of denial. Kevin Dowling even though there was no doubt he'd been the perpetrator, denied, 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 like a stubborn child. Upon searching his vehicle, investigators had discovered rope that matched what had been left tied around Jennifer's wrists, a style of sunglasses that matched Jennifer's description of the would-be rapist's disguise, a newspaper folded up to an article covering the disgusting robbery, and a gun under the driver's seat. Kevin was immediately arrested and charged with the Gray Fox robbery and attempted rape of Jennifer Myers. Kevin Dowling, a family man with a clean record, was a surprise suspect. His wife and kids had refused to believe he could be responsible for such a despicable crime, and supported him all through the fallout from his arrest. The money came together for his bail, and now, in the depths of autumn, Kevin was quite concerned for the future of his family. Or so he said. That's why, on this beautiful fall morning, two days before his trial, while Jennifer Myers opens her custom framing and art shop, pretending to be unbothered by thoughts of soon taking the stand, Dowling decides to take the day for himself, go out fishing, and videotape a heartfelt message for the family he may be away from for some time. He packs up his video camera, his fishing rods, a life jacket, then hops into his car and drives half an hour before stopping to get a coffee, being sure to keep the receipt, then continues out to Muddy Run Lake, where he sets up the camcorder on a tripod and films himself thinking out loud about his family, of how he'd like them to handle his likely prison stint for a crime he claims to be innocent of, a crime that no one will help him with. He then rents a rowboat, the only boat rental made that day at Muddy Run Lake, and paddles out around a bend to fish out of sight and film his occasional thoughts for hours. I'll play a clip from the tape filmed at 12.16pm, 45 minutes before the crime we came to hear about here today, I guess. Kevin is out fishing, wearing a goofy Miami Dolphins cap with his fishing license attached to the back. The whole look of Kevin matches his goofy fishing technique clumsily rowing the boat, then casting, then reeling in quickly before fumbling with the oars again. It's a great instructional video on how not to catch fish, but in his defense, Kevin is clearly distracted. I just killed a spider with my bare thumb. I'm gonna wash that off while I play this clip. I gotta face what's ahead. I mean, I'm not responsible for what happened, but uh, no one seems to want to help me and I don't know what to do. My main concern is uh, what's going to happen to mommy and,
0: and all your
1: kids. While Kevin is out making this weird tape for his family, Jennifer Myers is bravely making her way into the afternoon portion of her workday at the gallery. Her husband, Steve, will pop in soon. Every day since the robbery and attack, he has shown up like clockwork around 3 p.m. to check in and chat and be sure his wife is okay. It's most certainly a stressful time for the Myers. It's likely an incredibly difficult thing to know, if she does know, that her attacker is out there, free on bail. She must have some concern that Dowling could attempt to harm her again, silence her before the trial. It must have crossed her mind, again, if she is in fact aware that Dowling is free and living nearby, rambling about how much he's going to miss his family while spending one of his last days away from them. The bell jingles at the door of Jennifer's shop. She looks up from her game of solitaire in anticipation of seeing a customer, or maybe even her husband, Stephen, come early. It's one o'clock. We know this because outside in the strip mall parking lot, 1 p.m. is when the popping noises happen. A sound like three gunshots that stop surrounding shoppers dead. The world outside of the Gray Fox Gallery froze for a moment then sprang back to life in a flash of black and blue when a man came flying out from an alcove, a witch's wig bouncing on his head, blue flannel shirt floating up behind him like a cape, faded jeans flashing in the afternoon sun, as if on fire, until he slid into a light blue K-car and peeled out, nearly hitting a pedestrian, while exiting the parking lot. There had been plenty of witnesses to the escape, but only one to the murder. Jennifer had likely known whoever had killed her, or at the very least reasoned why someone had been sent to. This was a hit. No money taken from the till, or her purse. She'd had time to think about the possibility of this happening. Had time before she died, and it may have crossed her mind after having been rushed and shot in the left shoulder, then the chest, causing her to crumple out of her chair to the floor, that she'd known that this could happen, that she should have stayed home. Laying on the floor, bleeding from her two gunshot wounds, she looked into the eyes of her killer as he stood over her. Jennifer Myers, the mother, the wife, the entrepreneur with a bright past and brighter future, despite her likely pleas for mercy, was then executed by a shot from a .357 or a .38 that went through her left eye and shut her shining world off. The shots may have frozen the lot for a moment, but nobody bothered to figure out where they'd come from. It would be two hours before anyone else entered the Gray Fox Gallery. Business was slow, except the business of being robbed, raped, and or murdered, apparently. At 3 p.m., Jennifer's husband, Stephen Myers, showed up as always and found his wife dead on the floor. He immediately called 911. 911.
0: Don't. Okay, where out of her body is she In his face.
1: Okay, is she breathing? <laughs> Sir, is she breathing? No. Rosetta Stone, everybody. You know, for a long time, I've been wanting to go to Japan. But the thing holding me back is that I'm intimidated by uh, the language. And that's why I've been going pretty hard at the Rosetta Stone service. I want to be able to take my girl to Japan, a place that she's always wanted to go, and suddenly just start speaking fluent Japanese at the restaurant. That's my goal. (laughs) Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on a desktop or as an app, and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It's been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users, 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. Rosetta Stone immerses you in a bunch of ways. Uh, There's an intuitive process where you pick up the language naturally, first with words and phrases, then sentences, They have the speech recognition feature built in true accent gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Uh, It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's convenient and it's an amazing value, especially with this offer here. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started for a very limited time. Dark Topic listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off on limited access to 25 language courses. For the rest of your life, redeem your 50% off at Rosettastone.com/today. today
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
1: When help arrived, Stephen was a wreck. He answered a few questions, then seemed to have a breakdown that paramedics deemed serious enough for him to need a shot and to be taken to the hospital to be observed. The first bullet, the one that had been shot into Jennifer's left shoulder, grazed her. It was dug out from a wall and examined. Soon it was determined to have come from a 357 or 38 revolver. Stephen Myers was the owner of such a weapon and, as a result, became a suspect. But investigators were lukewarm on the idea Stephen may have killed his wife and was perhaps using the upcoming trial as a way to pin the crime on the natural prime suspect. Disgraced store clerk Kevin Dowling. Kevin, who was out fishing about 45 minutes away when this happened, and had the receipts from the trip, as well as a videotape to prove it. His alibi appeared to be airtight, Kevin Dowling's. Super convenient and weird, but what more would you expect from a super weird convenience store manager? They are, after all, meticulous types. In my experience, bunch of sociopaths. (laughs) Obsessed with inventory. And their bonuses. The widow Stephen Myers, meanwhile, was being grilled. His 357 had been confiscated and was being treated as the possible murder weapon. His life had fallen apart and now was being rummaged through. Detectives were looking for any benefit to Steve and his wife's death, any recent life insurance taken out, any mistresses or infidelity in his past. Perhaps Steve had become tired of being with the same girl since high school. Maybe he couldn't cope with the fact his wife had recently been sexually assaulted. Did that bother you, Steve? Hmm? Did it ruin the hold you'd had over Jennifer's life to that point? You being the only man? Her brothers and sisters say you're quite controlling. Did you lose control, Steve? No, it was nothing like that. And Stephen was taken off the grill when ballistics testing proved his gun was not the one that fired the bullets that killed his wife. Kevin Dowling's wife seems genuinely shocked when investigators show up at her door with news that Jennifer Myers, her husband's accuser, has been killed. The first words out of her bitter mouth are, quote,
0: Well, Kevin certainly didn't do it. Didn't do any of it.
1: She invites the officers inside to watch the videotape Kevin had made the day previous, on October 20th, 1997 the date boldly printed on the side of the cassette. It is quite the alibi. The officers watch the odd tape, dumbfounded when they see the time in which the murder occurred is on the counter in the corner of the screen at one point. They request to take the tape with them, as well as a blue flannel shirt and Miami Dolphins hat that are draped over a chair. It's what Kevin, who is at the moment or maybe hiding in the house, was wearing in the video. Kevin's indignant wife agrees.
0: Take whatever you like. He didn't do it.
1: As the officers exit the home, one feels a tug on his sleeve. He turns to face the large, angry face of Mrs. Dowling, who whispers so the children won't hear, quote,
0: But if you do find out he did, I'll be the first to testify against him.
1: All right. To use one of my least favorite phrases, let's cut the shit. Kevin Dowling did it. But how? Well, when the tape is studied further, it's found to be full of all kinds of queer information. First, the date and time on this brand of camcorder was found to easily be manipulated. Second, Kevin isn't really fishing. He's pretending to fish. Casting then immediately reeling in, checking his watch incessantly. It's completely unnatural the way he's behaving on this alleged fishing trip. Third, when an expert on light, shadow, astronomy is brought in, He gathers a team to recreate Dowling's location on the lake at the time the camcorder's timestamp claims and finds that the shadows are all wrong, that Kevin is not on the lake at the time of the murder, as the tape suggests. Fourth, gunshot residue was found on Kevin's blue flannel shirt, a shirt that witnesses say the gunmen from the Gray Fox had been wearing a style of. Fifth, within a collage of photos on the wall of the Dowling family home, investigators notice a photo where his daughter is wearing a black witch's wig. When this daughter, my daughter who Kevin will later discredit any testimony in court from, saying she's got mental problems, is asked about the wig, she says her dad borrowed it. Anyways, Kevin did it. He rode the boat to shore out behind an island, then ran through the woods all the way back to his car. The boat rental people witness this. Like, what the hell is this guy doing? Where's the boat? They went out and spotted the boat on shore, deciding to leave it. Maybe the guy needed to crap and only liked to do that at home or something. Who knew? I mean, the guy had been filming himself in the parking lot and pacing around all the morning. He was just a weird guy. When Kevin returned from murdering Jennifer, from running around in his fishing clothes wearing a Halloween witch's wig, he'd filmed himself again in the empty lot by the boat rental place. Then, as the rental people watched, he ran back into the woods with his camcorder to pretend to fish again. When faced with this damning evidence, Kevin Dowling admitted to tampering with the time on the camcorder, but he hadn't done it so he could go kill the woman who was testifying against him in a robbery and rape case in a couple of days. No, he'd uh, done it to fool his wife. You see, Kevin's wife was a bit of a ball buster. She didn't like him going to the titty bar. Adult world, it was called. And that's where he'd been, while Jennifer Myers was being murdered by her husband or whoever did it. Probably the husband, I heard he had the same gun. He'd made the tape to keep his wife off his dog trail. And it would have worked too, if someone hadn't murdered Mrs. Myers, of all the dirty, stinking, rotten luck. Kevin Brian Dowling was sentenced to death for the first-degree murder of Jennifer Myers. He was also given a 9- to 18-year sentence for robbery and attempted rape, this being the initial sentence he hoped to avoid by taking his accuser out. Dowling has been in and out of appellate court for decades, managing to avoid his death sentence carrying out in 2007, claiming that the initial search of his vehicle was improperly done, and if they hadn't have found the rope and the news clipping and the gun, then maybe none of this would have happened. That's not exactly how his lawyers put it, or the innocence group half-heartedly supporting the killer, but... You know how it goes. He's playing the system. Or maybe not. I found a piece the 63-year-old death row inmate wrote recently. Maybe you'll find it compelling. Some people apparently do. Not me, but I'll be fair and read it. My Last Day on Earth by Kevin Dowling. They say you should never ask questions that only a dead man can answer. But what if you could answer them? What if you could remember every detail of your death and aftermath? What if you continued to die over and over again? I died for the first time around 4 p.m. on 29th October 1997. It was a beautiful autumn day, a Wednesday. I had prepared an appetizing dinner for my family consisting of seasoned chicken breast, rice pilaf, and fresh steamed broccoli drizzled with brown butter. Was this, another HelloFresh commercial? Take it easy, Kevin. No need to double down, I did enough. I had picked up my wife from work and our toddler son from daycare. Our 2 preteen daughters arrived home from their day and were washing up before we sat down to supper. The meal was destined to go to waste as my family would dine on misery that night. The doorbell rang accompanied by a loud knock as the dread that I had been feeling all day began to be realized. When I opened the door, I was met by several police officers." One asked that I step outside as he placed me in handcuffs and arrested me for murder. My toddler's son ran after me only to be stopped by the outer glass door. Pressed against it, he wailed as his arms reached out for my embrace. After I was placed in the back seat of an unmarked cruiser, I noticed that my quiet middle-class neighborhood had been invaded by a small army of heavily armed police. Our neighbors came outside and watched tensely. I peered up towards my house and observed my two daughters looking out from the upstairs windows, crying and confused. My wife was stunned. (laughs) I never had a chance to hug or kiss them or to say goodbye. I never would ever again. The police drove me away to the morgue, over 35 miles away in another county, where I would be autopsied every day for the next year. I later learned from my wife that police tore our home apart in search of evidence that never existed, even breaking toys apart as my family watched. I had been a respected manager and investigator for 20 years for private security, restaurant, and retail companies. I had no criminal record. I was loved and respected by family, friends, and employers. Even before the police realized they had made a mistake, they targeted the fragile state of my family and exploited their trauma. There was no turning back, as documented in their own reports and in letters from my wife, they aggressively initiated the process of turning my family against me with known lies. I would die thousands of times since that fall day in 97, even after the final two autopsies they called trials in 98. They dissected me as I watched in their kangaroo court, removing my organs one at a time. They saved my heart for last. With demonic precision, they sliced it into pieces. I observe now from my corpse as I ask questions that only a dead man can answer. The manner of my death was homicide. The official cause of my demise was multiple rounds of perjury. No one has been charged. The case remains open. Kevin Brian Dowling. Fuck are these fruit flies coming from? Now, you may hate that I read that, but I think it's important to hear what a psychopath or a sociopath, I don't know, just a piece of shit sounds like. How a manipulator, a stone-cold killer, presents himself. Lies to himself and everybody else. His family no longer supports him. Dowling is alone. And despite his continued attempts to convince anyone, everyone, himself even, that he didn't do this, his attempts to drag her family through the process of fearing he may somehow be released one day or at least manage to avoid his punishment by keeping this case alive, despite all this pain-in-the-ass shit that happens with... Incredibly selfish perpetrators like Kevin Dowling. Uh, The wig is off. And everyone can plainly see what's underneath. Kevin Dowling, exposed completely by the sun and the shadows, rotting like a fish in prison. His smell still wafting through Spring Grove, overpowering the paper mill, turning noses every time his name is spoken. That'll do it. I've been pushing myself to get Dark Topic back on its feet. This is season three. If you're uh, missing consistent episodes, I do release two exclusive Dark Topics on tier 13 of 1159 Media Patreon each month. We have a lot going on over on Patreon between myself, the operator of 911 Calls Podcast, and Kent Chungus of True Crime Kent. Shows I contribute to as well. But as far as Dark Topic goes, I'm ramping back up again expect at least two apps a month along with a monthly less formal offering am i developing a lisp great it's over i'm maybe you'll like that nope there's nothing wrong with having a lisp i'm calling uh these uh these monthly episodes that i'm going to pair up with as many dark topics as i could do publicly going forward with the season three i'm calling uh waking up with jack luna I get up in the morning once a month, uh, talk about my continuing sobriety battles in a segment called uh, Sobering Thoughts." Then a little read of an ancient newspaper article to get the day going. I don't want to read any of the current stuff because it's uh, stupid, but old news, I'm going to read some old news. And finally, I'll finish each episode with a reaction to a listener voicemail that I'll play on the show and react to and answer or just whatever, talk about uh, just a way to keep in touch as I feel myself drifting away from relevance with Dark Topic in the public space, and I don't want that. There's a link in the show notes to our contact page where you can record a question or comment that I may or may not play, depending if it's not overtly sexually perverse enough. That's JK. I'm joking. Joking right there. But that that might be fun, too, just to respond to, like, a really nasty, heavy... Br- don't do that, please. The recording option... Uh, through this link, we'll say it's for 911 calls podcast, but you can make one for Dark Topic in there as well. I hope you're all well. I'm pretty good. And I look forward to spending more time with you in season three of the forever sketchy Dark Topic podcast. Eyes cocked, doors locked. Stay paranoid. Thank you so much. Talk to you real soon. Bye bye. No. Oh, yeah. Okay. For sure. Okay, take, take care. All right. You betcha. Okay bye.